Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast and welcoming today Max Hillebrand. He is a badass sovereign individual and you are going to go down some very deep rabbit holes with him in this show, including CoinJoin and what they're going, what the work that is being done at uh, Wasabi. So I really hope you enjoy this one. Before we get to the actual interview, I want to give a big shout out to the companies that are helping me with this project and supporting the Once Bitten show. That's coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. That's relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash bitten. And that's swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. These three companies are Bitcoin only and will help you fiat cost average into Bitcoin, out of fiat, which is what we are here to do. Slowly, responsibly, and in a sensible manner, start educating yourselves about Bitcoin or just getting your stack that little bit higher. And these are the companies that you can turn to and trust. Once you have started doing that and you want to take this to the next level, self-custody with shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten you'll get a 5% discount on their BitBox O2 Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet. So you can join the dots here. Fiat cost average with Bitcoin only companies and then take custody with a Bitcoin only hardware wallet. If you want to go check out my book that is called Choose Life, I'd really appreciate any reviews or ratings or feedback. But meanwhile, sit back, get comfortable, and listen to my conversation with Max Hillebrand. Thanks for listening, guys. Okay, Max, it looks like we are good to go, man. We are good to go. Great to have you back with us on the Once Bitten podcast. The uh, the baddest, artist, most sovereign individual I've ever met, Max Hillebrand, ladies and gentlemen. Well, thank you very much, Princey. That's uh, that's a nice compliment. Uh, and, you know, I can send it back to you. You've been doing some amazing work on the podcast. Uh, it's been lovely to see all the new episodes flying in. You're you're on the tear, man. You, you don't seem to stop. That's amazing. So many plebs to talk to, Max, and so little time. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy, actually. <laughs> and, you know, big shout out as well to the other podcasters that are just doing incredible work. I cannot keep up with the content. And John Vallis is doing an amazing job putting out so much just amazing content. Alex Svetsky has come out of left field and he's like, in his Aussie accent, he's like, oh, fuck it, mate. I'm going to oh, start a podcast. The Wake Up Podcast. <laughs> it's insane, yeah. right? It's Unbelievable. so good. It's spot on. Incredible. And Alex is, is nailing it. He really is. And it's become one of my other favorite podcasts to start tuning into. Uh, and then Safe started his own podcast and is creaming it. I think his Sailor episode alone got over 200,000 downloads. I mean, this is amazing. Uh, K-Van is still doing amazing work. Um, you know, Matt and Marty, so many. Uh, Cedric 
uh, he came out of left field and started the Bitcoin Matrix podcast, which uh, is also very enjoyable. Um, I'm doing a disservice to anybody else that is starting your own project. I think it's amazing to see this. Uh, and we, we were just chatting before about the stuff that you've done in the past. But I'm going to have to, Max, you're going to have to stop me because Lauren is sitting here twiddling her thumbs and whatever else she can Eager. find, making noise in Eager the background. The Eager to ask you. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so my question is, so I heard that you live in like a kind of like a truck. So I want to ask why, uh, why did you decide to um, <clears throat> live in a truck? Well, that's a very important question. Uh, and it's been a choice that was a bit difficult, but that I really liked. Um, well, and the reason why is because, you know, the world is a big place and I have not yet seen it all. And there are many areas that I would like to be. And, you know, it's kind of nice to wake up in a new place uh, on the morning right, where you can wake up and walk out and explore a new area that you haven't seen before. That's a very thrilling feeling. It kind of puts you on the edge, right, because you're in new places all the time. It's also a bit uncomfortable, you know, at times. Um, but what I actually realized while having this truck is that I can be in many different places and always, you know, explore new areas. But ultimately, I still have my box, right? I still have the truck that has the beautiful wooden walls and that, you know, unique smell, right? And has all the quirks that I like it. Um, it and it's mine, right? Um, so it it enables this this huge range of traveling where you can wake up 500 kilometers to the north uh, tomorrow if you want, right? Um, but it's still... Like you don't have to check into hotels and, uh, you know, always carry your bag of, of clothes and stuff and you miss half of the things you want. Um, but you have your own box that is with you, kind of like, you know, the shell of a turtle <laughs> or of a snail um, that, that really makes for a nice way of living, actually. <clears throat> I would actually like to, like, live... Like, not live, like, live in a camper van, but we can't do that because there's six of us and it will be really hard. <laughs> Get a big school bus, right? <laughs> yeah. <gasps> I've actually oh. seen, like, a person, like, transform, uh, like, a really big bus into, like, a home for their two kids. Yeah, there's a lot of people that do that. Yeah, it, and, and it's on TikTok, so we see them do it. Yeah, and there's a wow. documentary that we watched on Netflix really? as well. And there's the movie called Captain Fantastic, where they have a, a big school bus and it's converted, and they go and live in the um, in the forest. It's it's cool. There's there's plenty of people that do it. Plenty. Yeah, it's actually possible. That's that's kind of the ridiculous <clears throat> I, thing. Right? Um, it has trade-offs, of course, right? Um, like especially with six people, the space is going to be a trade-off, right? Um, but you can work around it. Like you will realize that you don't need much stuff and much space. Uh, if you have good friends and family around you. Yeah. Wow, maybe when I'm older, like when I move out of the house, I could like travel around the world. Yeah, just buy a big bus and me and mommy come with you. <laughs> Daddy. Well, when we go to Miami for the conference, mm -hmm. we will just find a great big Winnebago to use. And, so um, we go big. Like, well, Max, why don't you uh, describe what I'm talking about to, to Lauren, like the, the huge American style um, luxury camper vans. They're, they're, they're massive. Oh, damn. Oh, you know, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you can like you can go really minimalistic and sleep basically, you know, in a small four-door car, right? That just has seats and you fold them down. Maybe if you want luxury, you put in a mattress, right? That's that's great. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. and you can live in there for months, weeks, right? Sure, it's it's different standards, yes, but it's possible. Um but then if you scale up, right, a little bit more space is kind of nice, right? And being able to stand upright in your box and don't, you know, have to hunch down over the seats. Um, there are a lot of cool benefits of having a bit of a bigger truck. Um, and, you know, the more you build it out, the more of your Bitcoin you invest in building that truck, um, the the more, well, well it's going to be different for sure. I wouldn't even necessarily say that it's going to be better. Uh, because I probably had, you know, the best times when there was almost nothing in my truck, no heating, right? Just candlelights, um, uh, no fl- no running water, nothing, right? But you know, standing there at minus twenty degrees, taking you know a, a plunge bath in, <laughs> you know, with 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 cloth and cold water, um, is it's a it's a really nice experience actually. Um, although it kind of does feel a bit poor. <laughs> 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 are you in the van right now or are you staying at, uh, with a friend in an apartment no actually uh right right now i'm, I'm in an apartment um but uh, soon to be out again on the van um you know that's a nice thing it's not it's not an exclusive choice right mm-hmm. um if you got a truck or a van i mean you can live in an apartment if you want right you just park it anywhere um and you can let it stand there for weeks months right but you always have you know the option uh, to get to go out there and and explore again, uh, and that's super interesting. Uh, so it, I, that's one of the other aspects that I really like, um, especially you know because buying a truck and building an out is probably going to be rather cheap compared to buying a house and building a house, right? So you're, if you're left up with much more capital, liquid, that you can then use, you know, either to rent out apartments or even hotels if you still want to, right? Sounds fun, huh? And I love the irony that um, we we could uh, use a converted school bus to do that with kids that are homeschooled and self-directed <laughs> education. <laughs> There's a certain... Max has got a big smile on his face right now. The, the, the Bitcoin family. The Bitcoin family, yes, they do it. Didi Tehutu, go follow at Didi um, because this is what they do with, with their kids. They, they don't even have a kitchen. No. Nothing. Nope. They, and they come and camped. Here with us in oh, France, really? don't they? On on our front lawn. Yeah. Didi and his family, they they come and rocked up um last summer. Yeah. When we no, the summer before last, when we were allowed to go out by the overlords. Yeah. When when the overlords allowed us to travel and uh do fun stuff and enjoy leisure time. Until and now we can just stay at home and be miserable. Mm. But we must thank the overlords for that. Yes. For our for our misery. <laughs> I think that's probably going to trigger Max. <laughs> At least everyone is equally <laughs> miserate. <laughs> yeah. But I like. I think it's good having a camper van because, like you said earlier, half of your stuff isn't at home and half of your stuff is with you. Mm-hmm. And I kind of miss half of my other stuff, so I've got it all with me. Then I actually feel like I'm home. Yeah, but when we were traveling around the world, yeah. we didn't have stuff, and it was mm-hmm. so freeing. It was so amazing to not have stuff. Just to have what you could carry in a bag was just, it's the purest form of freedom. And but, to not be to not be um held hostage to any particular jurisdiction or government or 
it's you know you 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 if you are a constant tourist you really are experiencing life in a completely different way to almost everybody else mm-hmm. it's just incredible anyway do you want to say goodnight to max are you gonna or have you got any more deep questions because max just... is a thinker so you can you can throw some swerve balls at him I, I want to ask something about like animals but i'm not sure if he has one wait do you have an animal uh, oh yes, actually, I I love my puppy. Like uh, I had a dog for for many many years, um, but un- unfortunately, he did pass away about a year ago, uh, which was quite tri- quite tragic. And sixteen years of age, like uh, a big black puppy, um, <laughs> running crazy wild and fast, uh, it was definitely a joy in my life. One of my best friends. Okay, so my question was, how do you like keep your dog, like your animals? in uh, like when when you're driving around how how do you keep them in one spot for like the rest of the ride <laughs> that's well um you know dogs are a bit uh, anarchists too they they, they uh, you know have their own heads and don't uh, don't always do what you tell them to do right sometimes they do but not always <laughs> um so uh, um you know dogs have four feet four feet and they can actually mm. you know stand and balance themselves even when the car is driving actually um uh but uh you know usually the dog was just laying down uh, minding his own business uh and you know looking happily out of the window um but you know there wasn't actually much of an issue with that okay then i can do that with evie Oh, right, okay, you're playing. Okay, fine. That's yes. that. You know, you know. All actually, right, cool. uh, good friends of mine. They they have a dog too. Uh, in in their fantastically big five ton truck, like wheels almost as tall as you are, insane. <laughs> um, but they were actually saved multiple times by the dog. Um, because they had them with on travel, you know, one of one of these, uh, you know, uh, kind of horror scenarios where people started, um, like they they put a tube into the cabin of the car right, uh, and pumped uh, CO2 or some oxygen, like some, uh, like some, uh, uh, how do you call it, like gas into the car that was supposed to knock out the people sleeping in there, right? And, you know, then once everyone is knocked asleep, uh, you just break in and take all the stuff you want and you leave, right? Unfortunately, that happens quite a lot uh, to people camping out in cars. Um, and now, of course, you can have one of these gas detector uh, alarms, Right, that will that will raise you as soon as there is some CO two uh, increase, right? But they didn't have that. They actually had the puppy, right? So the puppy went crazy as soon as he started smelling the gas. Of course, much earlier than it affected humans, uh, and he went crazy, right? Woke them up, uh, and they actually then uh, you know jumped out uh, and even caught the people who tried to rob them. Uh, where here again, the dog was barking at them like crazy, right? Making sure to protect his territory. Um, so this is this is just one of the many stories where you know having a, a dog as the best companion to mankind, right, is is a very nice thing, especially to have in a car. I wonder if cat. cat- oh, okay. Say good night. <laughs> we're we're going to get on with the podcast now. <laughs> okay. But there, thank you. I, I also do know Sorry, many Karen? people. I, I actually also do know many people who travel with a cat too in the car um you know you know even um uh, how do you call it? a parrot right the bird uh very smart yeah. animals uh actually really like to live in cars too and travel around so uh i think actually lauren there, there might be many opportunities here for you to get your animals as well 
<laughs> for you to convince daddy to go and buy you. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 yeah, right. I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking we might. I, I'm more of a cat person. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good night. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a bunch. That was fun. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you. Good night. Good night. So, so are you are you gonna are you gonna get a horse uh, in the camper van too? Do you think she will convince you of that? <laughs> oh, I think uh, is that one of the latest podcasts that she was talking about trying to get a horse, or I, it, there was, or there's one bit about to be released. But that that is what what she wants, uh, along with her older <laughs> sister. Uh, but of course, old um, old Sat's shy daddy is uh, nope. We are not, we are not spending such money. Uh, we are buying sats instead for now, as we well should be. <laughs> but the, I, I prefer very sats wise, in the stable. So, Max, what's been going on, brother? <laughs> L- last time we spoke, uh, you were, um, you were just. Get, I, I can you say it because I can never say Parallelnipolis. The Parallelnipolis Hackers Congress. Uh, HCPP. There you go. That uh, that was the last time we did a pod. Uh, as you were coming up to that conference, you managed that like an absolute professional because you went twenty four hours over three days, completely live, back to back live streaming interviews. I was lucky enough to to co share co chair an interview with uh, Kevan, and we interviewed uh, Thibaut Mechachal from um, Knox Custody. And you, I, I was a sh- I was absolutely shocked with with how you put that together. So, tell the listeners how that went down and what you guys managed to achieve. Yeah, this was somewhat of a uh, well, it was a build up of my previous years collaborating at the HCPP because for the last three years, I think uh, I did interviews there physically uh, with the people who just, you know, were at the Congress, speakers, attendees, organizers, everyone, basically, because everyone there has something interesting to say, right? Um, So we had always this physical studio, like a fishbowl, small, tiny room with like glass walls, no air conditioning. And if like four big dudes are sitting there talking, it's going to get stinky really quick, right? So it's just dreadful, <laughs> dreadful. <laughs> but yeah, we did that for like, you know, maybe five hours a day, six hours a day. And, you know, if you do that all by yourself, like talking for five hours nonstop and trying to sound smart with it too, is not easy, man. It's really draining, right? So it was exhausting, exhausting. Um, so then this year I was like, well, I I kind of want to do it again, but this time more <laughs> bigger right because <laughs> why not it was too easy last time uh but then i i also kind of copped out and was like well i don't want to do it all by myself first that's boring for the audience just hearing me blabber all the time right um but also that i want to enjoy the congress right and i want to be there in person and talk to the people um so well i did the beauty of division of labor right uh you know hiring new contributors uh, to make sure that uh you know they do the work that i cannot do or don't want to do you know uh, and if, if so i reached out to a bunch of content creators who i knew could handle an interview right that i don't have to micromanage them or you know teach them how to ask questions and stuff um and then just more and more people came on board and I kept inviting them because, well, it happens that I somehow know just all, <laughs> all the podcasters in the space. And then eventually I was at a point where like, well, 
how about we do it like for 58 hours straight, nonstop? <laughs> and when I suggested that to the other contributors, they were like, Max, you're fucking crazy, right? That's that's like another four or five main stages, basically, that you have to fill with talks. And you have like five days left to organize. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of was stubborn. I was like, well, it would be cool to have a nonstop live stream. Uh, I guess we can figure it out. It shouldn't be too difficult, right? Um, and then we did it. Uh, I, I think 35 podcasters were on board, something like 70 or 80 guests. Again, in total, 58 hours of, of high-quality content. Well, maybe not everything was high-quality, but a, a good chunk of it was. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was like a great proof of, of the collaboration of free software contributors uh, in podcasting and education. It's a great example of... of the Bitcoin community, man, like, you know, long Bitcoin, long Bitcoiners. This is just uh, proof again. And I experienced this just recently, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of weeks ago when the, the voice paper uh, came to bear, uh, the, the project which uh, Dim Zayan put together. Well, that was mind-blowing. That You know, that went from, hey, perhaps a bunch of guys can read a page each of the the white paper and we can you know decentralize it and it, surely that can't be construed under copyright laws as you know from certain people and that went from ah maybe we could read uh, read a paragraph each to holy shit you know we, we we've got a line each and we're oversubscribed <laughs> that was how quick it happened like overnight and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to your point when this community puts its mind to something, watch the fuck out, people. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy, right? It's it's so powerful. Like, we can gather a small militia of propagandists, right, within a weekend uh, and actually create a narrative and and enlighten people and, well, spread memes, right, and this memetic warfare that we are living in. Um like we have to do this. Like we have to to organize and uh, and to like to focus our efforts uh, and to pull in the right direction. And it's something like very important to do. Uh, and it's it's great to see that it actually works. Right, the voice paper project is uh, one of these other awesome ideas. Just randomly, one guy writes me on Twitter, "Hey Max, we're doing some crazy shit. Want to want to be on board?" And I was like, "Well, yes, absolutely. Let's get it done." Um, and it, that's just how, how things work in Bitcoin. It's, it's a beautiful display of collaboration. So what else have you been working on since? What's, uh, what's been going on in, in the world of Max? What can you fill us in on? Yeah, you know, I mean, I love Wasabi since, since so, so long uh, and have been contributing to it more and more. Um, but, you know, in like it's, it's so weird because I've been using Wasabi for years now and I got used to the user interface, right? And and just all the small little quirks that are in there. And I kind of liked them, right? They were, it was kind of this geeky power user tool. It, it does a lot of the magic properly under the hood, like awesome Tor integration and, you know, private network uh, synchronization and all of these things. But it had a lot of these advanced features that I just really enjoyed um, that kind of fit my niche. Um, and I was always like supporter number one of the old graphical user interface because like, you know, I was part in shaping it. Like so many small nooks and crannies in, in that UI 
like were, were ideas that that I was like a big part in in creating and articulating them, right? So it's also something that I was quite proud of. Um, but then more and more, like we, like the, the, all the contributors, like looking at the project at the whole, we were like, yeah, like we keep making small marginal improvements, right? Add a button here, add this tiny niche feature that maybe one user in five years will use, like. <laughs> but it was all just small improvements that were no longer exponential and no longer, you know, getting us to where we actually want to be. Uh, so more than a year ago, we were like, well, um, let's go into active research and into finding that next exponential improvement to privacy in Bitcoin. Um, like, we can't just continue making these small marginal improvements. We need that next level, right? That, that, that really big impact. Um, and that, that started off with just a lot of research, right? Um, what are, for example, existing CoinJoin protocols out there? Like, what have other people come up with? What have they built? Um, and finding out if that works or not, right? Uh, that, that alone took, took weeks, months of reading papers every single week, you know, talking to them weekly and um, uh, like even to the authors uh, and figuring out the, the trade-offs that they chose and the mindset that they had. Um, and at the at the end of all this all this research, we kind of figured that well, um, none of the existing coin join algorithms do exactly what we want, like what we would love it to do. Um, like everything had some trade offs that was like, ah, that sucks. Like, can we get rid of that trade off somehow? Can we make it a bit more, uh, you know, usable? Um, so ultimately, we came up with this list of features that we want to have in a perfect coin join algorithm or protocol. Um, so, for example, things like um, no minimum amount, right? Even if you have like uh, just like 100,000 sats, you should still be able to coin join, or even if it's 10,000 sats for that matter, right? Um, or things that every user must create an equal amount is stupid, right? Because not everyone makes payments of the exact same value, right? So we wanted to figure out how to make arbitrary amount coin joins so that any user can send whatever amount he wants um, and that is still securely communicated in the coordination. Um, uh, you know, and also things like being able to consolidate a lot of coins privately, right? You have the problem if you select, you know, if you spend five of your coins in the same transaction, well, then an outside observer knows that one person controls all of these five coins, right? And that is the case still with today's current Wasabi Zero Link coin join algorithm. Like if, if you coin join more than one coin, the coordinator will will know that these are owned by this by one user, right? Big downsides um, that we had so many of them, um, and ultimately we finally discovered ways to almost like to solving almost all of them um, in a really nice and efficient and highly private coin join protocol, uh, which we call Wabi Sabi, right? the 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 art of finding beauty in broken things. Right? It's it's this Chinese art where you know you have a pot like pottery. And you you smash it to the ground, it breaks to pieces, right? So you ruined it, right? It's broken, horrible. But no, right? You can still carefully and meticulously take all of the broken pieces, put them together, and fill the cracks with gold, right? All of a sudden, the waste comes together again, holds water again, because all the pieces are there. But it's even more beautiful because you mended the broken pieces in an elegant way. Um, and that's somewhat how we look at, at Wabi Sabi. Like, Bitcoin privacy is broken. It, it really is. It's not there. Like, it sucks, really. But this doesn't mean that it's useless. 
we can, with great care and great effort, you know, build that broken vase with gold, right? We can, we can make a, a whole working functional product that actually is private, despite or maybe even because of all the quirks that Bitcoin has and how, how it, it, with very great care and nuances, we end up using these quirks for our advantage rather than to our detriment. Mate, this sounds cool. Okay, unless you, you've opened a rabbit hole immediately that we can go and explore for the listeners that are probably sitting there scratching their head like, what is he even saying, CoinJoin? What does that even mean? Um, why, why does it, you know, if I want to send five coins, why do they go out all at the same time and I get some back? You know, that there's some things here we could probably help some of the listeners to understand. So first of all, uh, why, don't we, why don't we concentrate on that? Like sending a transaction. Uh, for the for the newer people to the show uh, that um, have found Bitcoin recently and might not fully understand uh, what you mean about if you if you make a transaction that whole transaction has to go. Yeah, so so Bitcoin has basically a a model called the unspent transaction output model. Weird fancy term, but basically you know as as a very rough analogy. Um, you know, you have a, a Bitcoin address, uh, which is somewhat a lock. Like, think of it as um, like uh, just a physical lock that you need a key to unlock, right? Um, in the context uh, of, of Bitcoin, the lock is, for example, your public key. And the key that you need to unlock is your private key, right? The, your secret information, your 12 recovery words, right? These are the keys that you need to unlock your addresses and Inside this treasury box um, is a, a, some value of Bitcoin. And also, you have this treasury box that is locked, but when you find the key to open it, you actually see a bunch of gold coins inside, right? A bunch of Bitcoin that you can spend. But you can, of course, only spend them if you find the key to the lock, right? Um, and um, yeah, maybe quick stop here, but but what do you think of that analogy? Does it Does it roughly make sense for you? Yes. Yep, that's that's all good, and I, I think what what might help people understand is that um, say say they do have uh, a whole Bitcoin, for example, they might have bought two or three years back, uh, but they only want to send point one of a Bitcoin. I still think there's um, a lot of um, misunderstanding around the fact that that whole Bitcoin is sent and gets broken, and you get the change back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I kind of like to think of it as we have, you know, um, we have Satoshis, which are, you know, the smallest unit of Bitcoin, right? 100 million Satoshis make up one whole Bitcoin. Uh, somewhat similar to how gold atoms, right? Uh, you know, uh, pro like 72 protons in one atom make the smallest unit of a gold atom, right? Um, and now you can take a bunch of these gold atoms together, Right, let's say uh, one million of them, and it turns out to be one gram, right? And now you have a chunk of one gram of gold, right? With all these many atoms in there, um, and that's roughly the same as with Bitcoin, right? So we have the smallest unit, which is the satoshi, right? And you can take any arbitrary amount of satoshis and put them into a chunk of Bitcoin, basically. And this chunk of Bitcoin is the like the UTXO, the unspent transaction output, you know. Um, and this just means that it's, well, a chunk of the money. Um, now, if you, 
if you want to spend, uh, you know, a gold coin that has a beautiful picture, you know, packed into it, um, well, you have to give away the whole coin, right? You can't easily just tear it apart into two. You have to give away the whole coin. And same in Bitcoin. If you want to unlock one of these treasure boxes, right, you cannot just unlock it, take half of the Satoshis out and lock it again. That's not how it works. It's like a one-time lock. Um, it's, it's locked forever until you unlock it. But once it's unlocked, it cannot be locked again, right? It's open and for everyone to use, basically. And this means that you will have to take all of the small Satoshis inside this treasure box right, and spend them to someone else, right? Put them into a new uh, treasury box that has a different lock on it. Um, and, and this is why, for example, um, like there is not the concept to you know, spend half of the coin that you have. Although you can spend 0.5 Bitcoin, Right, because that's just the number of atoms that the gold coin has. But one of these coins has to be spent whole. Right? It cannot be just spent half. I think you may have just coined the term uh, satum. Do you think we could get away with that? <laughs> <Instead of laughs> Tiny satums to make up uh, a full Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, so, and that leads us then nicely to CoinJoin. So, this is the problem you were trying to solve. If somebody wants to coin join X amount of their Satoshis, but from that one address that they have that is linked to a full Bitcoin, but you only want to coin join maybe 0.5 of it, you send it into the coin join, the whole coin has to go. Now someone knows that that address is linked to more than what you're trying to coin join. And this is a problem that you guys were trying to solve. Um, yes, um, but maybe let's let's take one step back because you know we often hear oh CoinJoin is this privacy technology and weird magic happens and nobody can follow your transaction history, and although this is correct in the kind of implementations, on a conceptual level, uh, a CoinJoin literally means that users join their coins, right? So um, when we build a Bitcoin transaction. A regular transaction is just where Princey here, you know, he has two treasure boxes, two, two coins. He unlocks them and takes one, like 100,000 sats from the first and 500,000 sats from the second, right? And he spends them by himself. In this one transaction, there are two inputs. Both belong to the same person, right? This is what's known as the common input ownership heuristic, right? So if you see a transaction out in the wild and it spends more than one coin, then if you assume that this is that both of these coins belong to the same person, you're probably right, right? Because that's just how we use Bitcoin. We make transactions just by ourselves, right? And now the coin join is something a bit different. Um, we so when, for example, Princey wants to make a payment to someone, right? And I want to make a payment to someone else, right? There speaks nothing against that, that we too collaborate and just together build one transactions that has, for example, three inputs, two from Princey, one from me, right? Um, and for example, four outputs, one to Princey's payment destination, one to my payment destination, right? And the changes back to both him and me. Um, like that totally works. There is no Bitcoin rule that says all inputs must be owned by the same person. Right? There is no KYC in Bitcoin. Nobody knows that. Right? It's beauty. We, we cannot even enforce that. So because that's not, not a requirement that every user controls all of its inputs, we can collaborate 
to make a Bitcoin transaction together. Um, and this is basically what a coin join is. Uh, now, of course, it's a bit difficult to coordinate all this, right? If if you want to bring 100 people into the same room at the same time, right, to exactly find out what Bitcoin transaction they are sending, well, that's a coordination problem, right? Um, and uh, it kind of depends on the exact use cases. Like, why would you even do such a big transaction, right? Why is there, like, why? <laughs> it's, it seems like just much more hassle. Um, but the reason why you do it is basically uh, twofold. One uh, is transaction fee savings, right? So it's actually cheaper if, you know, we, we put all of our coins together in a transaction, um, uh, then we don't have to start a new transaction, right? That has all the transaction headers and so on. So we actually all save fees by not needing to run our own transactions just by ourselves. That's one reason. Um, but the other reason is, in fact, the privacy. So if if we structure and coordinate this collaborative transaction smartly in a nice way, it will actually be really, really difficult to find out who paid whom, right? Because again, for an outside observer, these are just individual coins. Nobody knows which coins belong to whom exactly uh, and, and which like where the coins are being sent to. Uh, and the more users collaborate in such a large coin join trans a transaction, uh, the the better your fee savings and your privacy, in fact. Brilliantly laid out. Right, mate. What's the... Uh, this? Oh, so much I want to ask you. Okay, privacy. Clearly a huge focus for, for you and your work in, in Bitcoin. And this is what drives you. And this is what I love about Bitcoin because there are so many different subsets of people that get pulled down particular rabbit holes and just want to make Bitcoin better in that specific area. Now, you guys obviously very much focused on, on this and privacy. How do you see privacy improving in, in your eyes? Uh, well, first of all, what's wrong with the privacy right now and where do you see it or want it to go? Yeah, um, great question. Um, well, first of all, I agree that the Bitcoin rabbit hole is so fascinating and that everyone can find its its niche there. So so nice that you point that out. Um, but yeah, specifically for where the privacy kind of is currently at the Bitcoin. And, you know, I think that analogy of a shattered vase is kind of somewhat correct. Like there, there were some attempts to make Bitcoin you know, as private as possible, of course, but there was a trade-off. Right. Um, specifically that if you're perfectly private, well, then there's also no reputation. Right. And we cannot really verify anything. Right. If, if everything is anonymous, then nobody knows what's happening. Nobody can verify. And in the sense of Bitcoin, this means nobody can verify if there is not anyone printing money. Right. Or in other words, we cannot stop anyone from printing money if we don't even know that he's printing money. Right. Um, so privacy in the sense of economic security of 21 million Bitcoin is somewhat orthogonal, right? Um, and uh, there are, however, improvements, like conceptual improvements, of like, for example, um, uh, these, you know, uh, uh, Patterson commitments or like weird cryptography that is used in, for example, Monero, where, where here we actually no longer know how much Bitcoin is being sent uh, in a transaction. Uh, like it could be, 
one sats or it could be 100 bitcoin we like it's it's impossible to find that out in monero actually because of the cryptography that they use um but still you can verify that there is only a limited amount of monero and that nobody is spending them out of thin air right so something like this something like these confidential transaction types that monero has would be a substantial increase in in the bitcoin privacy model while arguably actually like even not even increasing the risk of someone printing money right because you can still verify under some cryptographic assumptions that nobody is printing money um but the big downside is scalability right because we use all these crazy cryptographic primitives and zero knowledge proofs and all the black magic that nobody really understands how it works that's very inefficient um and running a full node in something like monero much more difficult much more difficult and costly um even though monero is, a, is at a much smaller scale right so if monero would have all the users that bitcoin has you would really see where the scalability breaks down i mean you know bitcoin is not scalable monero is 100x less scalable um and this is where i think on the you know on the network like on the on the protocol layer of bitcoin itself it will be difficult to get you know such fundamental changes and improvements um to the bitcoin privacy aspects um and that's why i actually think that on the wallet side you know client implemented non protocol side we will see the the much more improvements um than on the protocol layer uh, but i think that's actually all right and probably good enough what do you feel about we we've we've turned the corner now on institutional uptake of of bitcoin and bitcoin going into the uh, onto the balance sheet of of treasuries how that they, they don't care about privacy that's it's not going to be them driving that the privacy issue is going to be left to you guys that are in the trenches and you're battling for privacy for the plebs and this is what i love about it um and you mentioned monero and i think and i don't know i'm i'm not very up on the the other projects or altcoins or shitcoins or whatever people want to call them but i think zcash is also trying to bill itself as a, a private kind of option um do you see any kind of use case at all for the institutions that are coming in to 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 adopt this more kind of private approach yeah i so i have my, my quorums with corporations starting to get into bitcoin but it's actually not even that much about them about the privacy aspects because you know privacy is is quite an important part for business like um you know especially in the fiat system like uh, uh, there is a lot of privacy involved like you don't want to let your cost, like um your competitor your competitors know you know where you buy the cheapest material right or what tricks you use in marketing like there are a lot of things that companies don't want to tell their competitors that's privacy right you choose not to tell something to your competitors um like that's that's at the core part you know um of of being a businessman is to well you know not be naive and not tell everyone everything but to you know somewhat uh navigate this with with being careful because you still want to be profitable right so we see for example in bitcoin like in in naively in in entrepreneurs who use bitcoin naively um 
it's very easy to de-anonymize them. Um, it's very easy to find out exactly how much money, for example, an exchange has right, in their cold storage because they don't have any good privacy. They don't know how to separate um, you know, their money. And, well, that's, that's a bad thing, right? If, for example, a Bitcoin exchange, you know exactly when a whale is depositing 100 Bitcoin you know, to an exchange because you know the exchange wallet, well, then you can front run this deal. Right? So with exchanges, we see it permanently that privacy is very much important because you don't want these front-running things to happen because then the price of the Bitcoin that you sell is all going to go down. Um, but uh, yeah, there. so this is one of the aspects, right? You, you want to have privacy as an entrepreneur. Um, and I think we will see a lot of, for example, exchanges like Bull Bitcoin uh, run by Francis Pouliot, crazy cypherpunk and Wasabi user, he coin joins a lot of his Bitcoin of the company um, before, like after he receives it from his customers and before he sends it out, you know, just for the reason that he does not want his competitors to know exactly how much money he, he, he does, right? Or that his competitors find out the, you know, profitable clients that, he's, that he is having. Um, but on the other hand, he also doesn't want that his clients can spy on each other, right? If, if first Ellis sends some money to the exchange, and then Bob buys Bitcoin, so the, the exchange sends the money back to Bob. Well, if Bob can find out Alex, Alice's past transaction history, right, that's, that's a problem. Right? If, if one user can spy on the other, that's an issue. Like, bank, current fiat banks don't have that. Right? Even if Princey and I have a, a bank account at the same bank, I have no idea how much money he has in there. Right? That's not possible for me to find out um, because the bank provides the security right? and this, this privacy. Um, so I actually do think that entrepreneurs and, and businesses intuitively do understand the value of privacy. Um, I just hope that they will be aware of the privacy trade-offs in Bitcoin and, and how to improve the privacy of not just themselves, but their customers as well. And how do you see this playing out over the next five to 10 years? Because there's been a lot of discussion around whether or not you should coin join or you shouldn't. And is there going to be a two-tier market? Let's you know. Let's go down that rabbit hole. Do you think there will be a two tier market in in five years or ten years, where a coin joined UTXO is going to be either more or less in you know fiat terms compared to one that isn't, or vice versa? Where do you kind of think about that? Yeah, this is the problem of fungibility, right? And I have a bit of a nuanced view here. Um, Satoshis are perfectly fungible, same as gold atoms, right? It doesn't matter which gold atom you have, it's gold, right? Um, same with Satoshis. It doesn't matter what Satoshi value you have, one Satoshi is one Satoshi, always, right? But think about a gold coin. Is a gold coin fungible? Well, I mean, not really, because there are so many different gold coins, right? One with Caesar's heads, one with like some Greek goddesses' heads, or maybe one is, you know, all clipped away and, and all dirty, or, you know, there are many different types of coins. Um, and these are not fungible, right? The, the coin with Caesar's heads is different than the coin with Nero's head. Um, so clearly they are not fungible and they have a different value, right? Like at least for, you know, collector value and such. Um, now, how does this apply to Bitcoin? Um, you know, if like if, if we look at the Bitcoin UTXO, the actual coin, right, the treasury chest from the earlier example, well, these are very different too. 
Right? Princey has a treasury chest where only his key can unlock it. I have a treasury chest where only my key can unlock it. Well, that's not the same thing, right? And it's good that it's not the same thing. We want to have that differentiation here that, for one, only Princey can get, spend his money and only I can spend my money, right? So we, we deliberately do not have fungibility on the coin level, right? Because, well, each public key is different and each private key is different. Now the, the actual question is, will the value of these non-fungible coins differ based on their reputation on the Bitcoin network, based on their previous transaction history? Um, and I, I can see it happen, unfortunately. Um, it's kind of the downside. Like, if you have somewhat of this transparent system where the transaction history is obvious, um, then yes, this can be used in the decision-making of if I, do I accept this money or do I not? Um, now, who will make that decision of I will actually not want to accept this money? Um, and this is something where I'm, where I'm still not sure um, because I for sure won't. Like, I don't care where you got the money. It's money. It's a Satoshi, right? I can spend it again in the future. At least that's what I think, right? But if at some point, you know, all big merchants say, well, no, we do checks and we look back on the transaction history. And if you do some shady things, you will not get the pizza, right? Well, at first, I will probably not go to these entrepreneurs and just not buy their pizza, but go to the next guy. But if more and more people actually do this type of censorship, and it is censorship, uh, then we are having a problem. Um, mm. And this ultimately comes down to what Bitcoin is actually all about. Right? Bitcoin mm. is about censorship resistant. Right? It is about making permissionless payments. And if we have like a government agency that has a blacklist of all the coins that you cannot accept in trade, well... If merchants follow the censorship rule, then they're not even using Bitcoin, right? They're they're not even really like using the ethos of Bitcoin at least. Uh, they might as well just use a bank account, right? If they beg for permission anyway. Um, so I think that Bitcoin is only as secure, only as private, and only as censorship resistant as the people using it. And if the entrepreneurs are cowards who will buy, like bow down to government regulation. Bitcoin cannot help you. Um, if if you want to be a slave, you will be a slave. But if you if you want to make your own decisions and your own choices, and you want to think for yourself if the coin that you receive is valid or not, right? Well, your own full node can do these rules, and that the Bitcoin core full node will start to introduce these um, these censorship constraints. I found impossible, um, very 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 unlikely. Um, and, and that gives me hope, right? Because this now gives still the opportunity for courageous individuals to run their own full node, to use this to verify the transaction that they receive in exchange for physical goods and services or others, right? And as long as these people uh, are, you know, resistant to government censorship, then Bitcoin is still. Um, I just hope that we as a, on the macro level, as hum human society, have the guts and the courage uh, to actually stand up to the bully and that is a really big question if we actually do have that. Well, this is putting the place and the trust back in the entrepreneur. And I, 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 this is why I see such a bright orange future. What you were just explaining, this, this to me is like, well, th th this comes back to the Bitcoin truth incentive structure, 
right? You know, an entrepreneur who is faced, who has a small, medium-sized enterprise, small business, customer-facing business, a point-of-sale machine or whatever, is going to know intuitively what is best for them. And this is what really excites me. It's, it, they, like you said, they're going to know a SAT is a SAT, the fungibility of it. It doesn't matter where that SAT has been before. They are providing a service. They can take payment at the machine in front of them. I, I see a day as well where point of sale machines are going to be running full nodes. They're going to be running CoinJoin and you're going to be paying with your with your phone over a QR code and that is all going to happen in the background your it, it would be like giving you know buying a baguette here in France instead of me handing over a 5 euro note i'll just flash the QR code you know 5000 satoshis ago flying out they'll coin join immediately and 4000 will come back <laughs> am i smoking crack or is that what's going to happen <laughs> well right now this is not really possible. I mean, join market kind of allows you to do that, uh, but it has some downsides. Um, but that's that's exactly kind of the problem that that we wanted to solve. Like we want to make every payment a coin join. We want to make every payment as efficient and as private as reasonable, right? Um, th that would be just awesome, especially if it's the default. And this is kind of what we tried to do with Wasabi Wallet 2.0. Right. So first of all, coin joints are the default. They just happen magically in the background, right? Um, and happen with arbitrary amounts and no consolidation penalty and all the crazy things that hopefully you will never have to know how they work, right? Because it just runs in the background and it just you know all your coins are private by default without you even knowing about what happened. Um, but it goes even further that we want to make payments inside a coin join. And this is something rather unique, um, that every participant in a coin join actually can make a payment now. So we like this is this is something that was conceptually possible before, but not really in practice and in a wide implementation. Um, and and with Wabi Sabi, we somewhat solved that issue. So I totally share your vision. Like I I have some crazy ideas that we could you know. 200 users get together uh, to build this massive coin join transaction. Now you spend maybe 0.1 Bitcoin, right? Uh, and you buy your, your spaceship with it or, you know, to protect your citadel. Um, but it only costs 0.7 Bitcoin uh, or 0.07, right? So the 0.07 goes directly to the merchant. He has no idea which, from which coin he got spent, uh, like he got paid. There are like 400 inputs in this transaction. He just knows, well, someone paid me. But I don't know who, right? But I know that I got paid. I can verify that at least. I just don't know the transaction history of the person who sent the money to me, right? And then, you know, with the change of that, we could open Lightning Network payment channels um, directly, atomically in one big transaction, like routing then payments through the Lightning Network or, you know, there's so much craziness that we can do if we have this sound layer of building collaborative Bitcoin transactions with hundreds of users securely and reliably, like that is a very important piece missing to improve the Bitcoin privacy and usability and efficiency by a substantial amount. I was going to ask you about Lightning next. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a rabbit hole I'm trying to get down right now. And big shout out to Jack Matters because he woke the, I mean, that was the shot heard around the world when he dropped that one month ago, that video 
paying um, the Irish guy, what was his name? Mr. Felton. Uh, over lightning, over strike, and you know, foreign exchange. My old business—that's where I, you know, uh, you know, plowed my career. That 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 business is just—it's going to be over, completely over. And now we have this concept of coin joining and lightning that coming together. This is super exciting and we've got two things going on right now in this space right we've got like head down everyone stack just keep stacking like please guys if you're as much as possible please keep stacking (laughs) but we have people like you guys at uh uh, wabi sabi and we have guys like jack thinking five years ahead that's the way i see it you guys are really thinking this thing through five years ahead of there's going to come a point where people are going to have to start using this like day-to-day cash so we can look at day-to-day cash let's look at fiat let's look at the great aspects of fiat which pretty much is privacy you know that is the last bastion of privacy in the financial legacy system is your 5 10 50 dollar notes whatever whatever currency denomination you can walk into a shop you can hand over that note and you can take away your no one knows except for the cctv cameras that you've been there right it's that or you, if you want to do it properly meet in a street and uh, you know you can make an exchange between friends or whatever so how do we take what is great about fiat and apply it to Bitcoin. And this is what I see you guys doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, Lightning Network is such a, such a mind-boggling, awesome project. It's, <laughs> and already like the small conceptual building block that it is, like just the concept of payment channels, right? That we can use um, cryptography and incentives on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, not even inside the Bitcoin blockchain, but on top of it. Right to make financial settlements of a transaction of, of, of value, final settlement within seconds. Right, that's just mind-boggling. It's like at the at the cost of computation, basically, which is nothing. Right. Um, so the idea of payment channels are and routing payments throughout payment channels, which is the Lightning Network, is genius. Right. But then what Jack Mallers proposes here with with a strike is is like applying this concept of, of settlement natively with a with a Bitcoin bank or an, or an exchange, right? Um, and it's a genius concept, right? And as, as you say, like you have your, your background in, in financial instruments as well. Like I just thought back at, at working at Deutsche Bank where, uh, you know, seeing this these gigantically large buildings where just people are there to settle foreign exchange. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, all of you are gone. Like all yep. of the derivative contracts, all the mm-hmm. options, like all this gigantic fiat infrastructure that is built on the trust third parties, bye bye. We no longer need you. Like that's it. Like it's gonna eat a trillion dollar market, um, just in use case of foreign exchange, with with that small crazy like Jack Mellers having some weird idea in in his basement, <laughs> and building it. Insane. 
the, the FX market settles about $6 trillion a day. Jack just blew it up. Insane. Yeah, seriously. In a, seriously. Like, in a hoodie. Ob- obliterated. <laughs> just gone. It's yeah. it's defunct overnight. It, it's absolutely, completely, and utterly pointless. It's mind-boggling. I, you know, it, it leaves me speechless. So, oh man, like you know, we, we, where do we take it from here? What? Um, is there is there going to be a? Is there already a lightning option with uh, with the wallet you guys are building, or is that something that you're working on? What's what's going on with that? Hmm. Oh man, I think I have a feature request from like two years ago. Hey, how about we implement lightning? Like, that would be <laughs> a cool idea, right? And I, I'm like in the project, I'm always the guy who has these crazy ideas and these crazy crazy feature requests, right? And then there is Adam Fiskor Nopara, like the founder of the project, who is like. Max, that's stupid on so many levels. Like, there's just no way that we can build this, right? It would take us about five years and like a hundred full-time developers to get it done. <laughs> um, so he always brings me down a bit. Um, but so the thing is, Wasabi Wall is a privacy-first project. Like, in the very difficult trade-off between you know uh, privacy and scalability and user experience and all these other different trade-offs that we have to choose we will always prioritize privacy. You know, that's always like, that's our our like first principle, right? Improve privacy for everyone. Um, now, Lightning Network has, f- first of all, it's a great scalability solution. I actually think it's a great user experience solution too. Like Lightning payments, just going through and settling almost instantly is much better, like so much better. I hate making on-chain transactions now that I see the potential of Lightning, right? Um, and it has conceptually massive privacy improvements, right? Because, well, if you don't tell the blockchain that you make a transaction, right, but you settle it securely and cryptographically enforced on this Lightning network, well, that seems to be a good thing. Um, but in reality and in implementation, like getting from a the, the concept is somewhat private to actually having a, a solid and privacy-first focused implementation that takes your privacy seriously and does not just, you know, screw you over with some weird things is difficult. It's very difficult. Um, I think right now the current Lightning Network is a great proof of concept, but it's in terms of privacy and reliability, not yet there, like by a long shot. We need a lot of things to make Lightning actually private um so that's the preamble of what it like why are we not working on privacy at wasabi well because well first our focus is is on privacy and i think we first need to improve the privacy of on-chain before before we can even think about having a private lightning network right um like first the, the first layer has to be solid then we can build exponentially more private on the second layer Right, so if we improve the privacy just a little bit on the base layer, it's going to be a lot better on the second layer. Right, so that's why initially our focus, like, was like Lightning Network, super cool, but let's focus on on chain. Right, let's let's make on chain coin joins as good as they can get, or as as reasonably good as they can get. Right, um, and now comes the next part. Um, uh, like, because I think with Wabi Sabi, we've kind of gotten to a point where. This is as good on-chain privacy as we can get them. Um, 
maybe after this is somewhat securely implemented and reliably implemented, we can focus now on building a secure and private lightning network node. But that's such a big work. Like it's scary how big that work is. Um, it took us more than a year just, you know, to do some minor refactorings of Wasabi and improve the coin join. Like if we want to like take privacy and lightning network seriously, whoa, that's like five years of work, right? <laughs> um, I, and I mean, you know, maybe there's, there, there can be like a reckless new project that, that hammers it out, you know, quicker, um, and hopefully that's the case because I just seriously want to have a privacy-focused Lightning wallet. But I see <laughs> so many small things, like, and the devil is in the detail with privacy, right? So mm. I'm a bit pessimistic here, but I hope to be proven wrong. I hope that we will see like an awesome privacy-focused Lightning network in a year or so. Um, but it's it's a lot of work. That's a rally cry right there from Max Hillebrand for anybody that's listening. There you go. The, the, the gauntlet has been uh, thrown down. Yeah, hey, exactly. I mean, if you're bored, if you don't know like what to work on, right? if, if you don't know where to spend your time on, I have like a thousand and one problems to solve. right? I can tell you everything about them and why I think they're difficult problems. And then, well, maybe you can come up with a solution. Um, no, seriously, we need any support that we can get in Bitcoin development in general. Uh, Bitcoin wallet development specifically, Bitcoin privacy development especially. Um, so yeah, man, I've, I've, like every support, every idea is is very much welcome. And if you, the way I look at what's going on right now, the, over the next two years, so many people. I know we are still so few and we are still so early, but so a big percentage of the people here and listening to this are going to be able to set themselves free. You know, that the, there's this, this, this cycle, this run up is going to unleash the next. This what, this is what's kind of exciting about bear markets because that's when shit gets built, right? That, that's when, that is when stuff really starts happening. Uh, because if, if people have been holding, stacking, and the price shoots to the upside, they can free themselves from their fiat jobs and they can start focusing where they want to add value. You know, human beings are actual entrepreneurs, I think, through and through. Nobody just wants to sit there filling out forms and wasting their nine to five. You know, we all have some part to play, especially in this, this new financial system that's being built. The, the potential that's going to get unleashed in the next 18 months boggles my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Like, um, it's it's been so fascinating to watch Bitcoin development up close over these last years. And the amount of progress, like, it's it's weird because at once it feels that we take massive stripes forward and just, you know, improve all the things, all the time, rapidly fast. But at the same time, it feels like we're almost doing nothing, right? And there's still such a huge pile of work to be done. Um, it's it's kind of this weird thing in between. Um, but like the, one thing is sure, we do get things done, right? And there are a lot of small and big improvements that are just being chucked out left and right. Um, 
And like we see it, something like Jack just did with with Strike. Like, sure, that was conceptually possible in 2015, but just nowhere near did we have the skill, the understanding, and the courage to actually get it done back then. Right? So it took Jack years, right, to build the Lightning Network infrastructure, to gain this his experience in Lightning wallet development, right? And to combine that all with his great understanding of of you know banking and and monetary business. <laughs> Um, to put that all together, it's like humongous work, really, really big. Um, that's just not going to come in in one day, right? That actually takes the time. Um, yeah. So, Max, I, I want to throw a word at you that I, I really don't understand, and I'm hoping that you could color some um, color this in for me. Taproot. What 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 is Taproot for for us mere plebs that are just concentrating on stacking and don't have any idea of of what's going on? Well, magic, of course. <laughs> um, but more concretely, um, it allows you to do things without telling other people that you're doing them. Roughly said, right? Um, there are two big aspects to it. Um, so one is that, uh, and that affects if you use multi-signatures. Right, and multi-signatures are not just used for your cold storage, right, where you have an inheritance plan with your family. Multi-signatures are also used for Lightning Network, right? So Taproot improves, you know, multi-sig and therefore Lightning Network quite a lot. But how, right? So in a current multi-signature, let's say a two out of three multi-signature, the way that it works is that you know the lock that you have on the treasury box, the so-called Bitcoin script that defines who can spend these coins. Um, this it has three public keys. And you basically say a transaction is only valid if it has two signatures out of these three public keys. Right? But all of this information is in the transaction. All of this information is in the blockchain so that every node can verify that there are three public keys and that exactly two of them signed this transaction. Right? Um, and that works. This gives you what I like to call non-simulated shared ownership of scarce Bitcoin. It's a super fascinating topic. Um, like <laughs> that these types of contracts are possible without a trusted third party is just monumental in and of itself. But the downside is, right, everyone knows three public keys, two signatures. This is where Taproot comes in. Specifically, the signature algorithm that is used in this scheme. Uh, because now we use the Schnorr signature algorithm. Uh, just a math formula, pretty simple. What it, yeah, what, what is Schnorr? That's another word like uh, that, that us plebs just kind of like glaze over when we see it. Like, no. <laughs> well, it's the name of a professor. Uh, I think Peter Schnorr or something like that from Munich, or I'm probably wrong on that, but um, he's a professor who in the 19, 1990s, I think, like a long time ago, or might even be 1970s, um, he figured out this math formula where you can prove that you know a secret without revealing the secret. Right? Kind of a weird thing, but that's the intuition of what a signature is. Right? So if, if uh, Princey signs, uh, signs a message, he uses his private key, the secret, right? and when I verify the signature, like I take... Um, I can find out that this signature was in fact made by this private key without me finding out what the private key is. Um, so what this basically proves to me is that, well, he knows a secret, right? 
And he's the only one that knows that secret, basically. So if I like, if I can prove that someone knew the secret, then I know that this message comes from you, right? That it was signed by you, uh, because you were the only one that knew the secret, and I can verify that you needed to know the secret in order to make the signature. Um, somewhat of a maybe roundabout explanation, but this is what uh, like signatures do in general. And this professor Schnorr just figured out a math formula to do this. Um, he was a bit of a dick and made a patent out of this, <laughs> so he threatened government force for anyone using a math formula, which is, like, as you do, completely ridiculous, and he should have been laughed in the face back in the time. But unfortunately, the patent succeeded, and he, in fact, did get a guarantee from the government that they will murder anyone who uses a math formula. However, that is legit. I don't know, but that's how it was, right? Um, uh, so, uh, and they kind of developed a, a roundabout way to get get around that government aggression, right? To get around that patent. Um, and there, therefore, multiple other signature algorithms, you know, got discovered. Different math formulas that kind of do the same thing, proving that you know a secret without actually revealing the secret. Um, and in the meantime, now, the Schnorr patent actually expired. So the government will no longer come and, and harass people who use the math formula. Um, and therefore... Many projects are now starting to use this formula again, right? Um, and it's a very, it's a very elegant, a very simple formula. I don't know it off the top of my head, but because it's so elegant, you can do a couple nice tricks with it. Um, and this is where I want to tie it back to my previous thoughts on this multi-signature, right? Currently, you reveal to the Bitcoin blockchain three public keys, two signatures, right? Now, what we can do with Schnorr. Um, is that, uh, you know, um, we have, so Daniel has his individual private key and his individual public key. I have my individual private key and individual public key, right? And Jack Mellers has his two, right? So we have three individual private keys, individual public keys, right? Now, of course, we keep the private keys secret because, well, that's what they are supposed to be, right? But now uh, we can share our public keys, as they are public information, right? And what we can do is aggregate them, literally sum them together. One plus one plus one equals three, right? That's what we do. And this gives us one public key, the so-called aggregated public key. Now, the, the special thing is that this public key um, looks like just any other public key, right? If, if if I just give you this one aggregated public key, you don't know that there are three public keys in there. It just looks like one to you, right? And this is what we now put on the blockchain, right? Instead of putting three public keys in there, we just put one so-called aggregated public key that kind of represents the three public keys without anyone knowing about it, right? Um, and then this, like to, to finish that line of thought is then how do we actually produce a signature for this? Right, because in the previous multi-signature, just everyone created his own individual signature, and we put two individual signatures into the blockchain as well. Uh, but with Schnorr signatures, we cannot just aggregate the public keys; we can even aggregate the signatures. Right, so magically, like uh, two out of three, let's say me and Daniel, right, um, sign individually with our individual private keys this message, right. And we can aggregate this signature so that 
we no longer have two individual signatures, but we mash them together into one single signature. And magically, this one single signature is valid to this one aggregated public key. And that leads us to a point that we're, where we just leave one public key and one signature on the Bitcoin blockchain. But in the background, we actually have enforced a two out of three multi-signature. And for those that are listening, yeah, Max is looking at me and, and I look like a dog looking at a washing machine right now. I'm like, what is he saying? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is truly mind-blowing. <clears throat> and this is what's so exciting about the space. All right. We've done a deep dive in all of that stuff. I now want to take you on a different tangent because, like I said at the beginning of the show, you're a sovereign individual. And this last year has been strange AF. And I don't see it letting up anytime soon. What has been your main takeaway with what is going on um, around the world right now? And uh, I don't know what country you are currently in, and you don't have to even say that. It's, it's, that is completely up to you. What are your main concerns? What, what have been your main concerns over the last six to nine months? What are they now and what are they for the future with regards to your freedoms and your, your personal sovereignty? Yeah, um, this is war. This is what modern warfare looks like. Welcome. Right? Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, what, what is war? Like war is destruction, right? Breaking things a lot on a very large scale. Um, at least that's somewhat of a good definition for war, I would say. Um, but how were things broken uh, over this last year? And I think they were broken on twofold. Like, this is, again, a, a massive attack on entrepreneurs. Like, unheard of on, on two fronts, right? So, basically, first, you deny any entrepreneur um, to be productive, right? To provide goods and services. That's all of a sudden illegal. As a restaurant, you cannot even provide food to your guests, right? Uh, as a shop selling, you know, something in, in the city center, you are no longer allowed to let customers into the doors, right? Um, this, this denies you the ability to create value for others, right? To solve problems for them. Um, and this means that your, your income is, is, is devastated, right? Because if you don't solve any problems, well, nobody pays you, right? So this means that your incoming cash flow, right, the incoming capital that you earn on an ongoing basis as a reward for the entrepreneurial genius, right, is obliterated, right? All the, all, like, restaurants, like, no revenue whatsoever, right? Ridiculous. Um, so your cash flow goes to near zero. But that's not the only thing, right? Now combine this with a massive hyperinflation on a global level, like money printing ab absurdum, like, in, like, Massive, massive numbers of percentage um, in in every country, in every region um, that we've almost never seen of in the fiat empire. Now, inflation, increase of the money supply, means that your purchasing power, like your percentage holdings, like how much how much uh, money do you hold out of the total supply, right? One out of 21 million Bitcoin. That number doesn't change, but in the fiat empire, it does, right? You still only hold a thousand euros, but they've printed 20 trillion more in just the last second since we spoke, right? So your proportion on the pie is shrinking at a rapid rate, at a rate that is 
that is extremely rapid, like absolutely crazy, like global base monetary, uh, 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 the, the, the global base monetary, um, or sorry, the global monetary base has increased by 35% in just one year. Uh, that is, you know, as high as it got in 2008. Um, and, you know, the second highest ever in like, like since 1974, unheard of hyperinflation. And what this means is that your savings are being eroded, right? You held a thousand euros in, in the bank and you thought this was what 0.1% of the money supply. Well, all of a sudden it's 0.0001% of the money supply, right? A much larger, uh, a much smaller amount or proportion because, well, they printed a bunch of money. So this means your savings are going extinct, right? The capital that you've accumulated in the past is going extinct. Now, what happens if you forbid someone to be productive and to earn money, and you also forbid someone from, from saving his capital, right, and from living off the fruits of his labors? That's poverty. Like if your income is destroyed and your savings is destroyed, you have nothing, nothing, right? And this means, well, you're poor. It's, uh, that's the outcome of war, is a poor society, poor people who can no longer be productive, who can no longer save their capital, uh, and ten, who can ultimately no longer make meaningful choices in their lives. Uh, it, it's, it's absolutely devastating. Like the, the amount of suffering that was caused by such government outreach is, is undescribable. Like on a, on a level, like not heard of for like the Second World War probably was like, I, I mean, sounds odd, but there was less destruction going on there. Because it was not a global event, right? There were many regions where no bombs were dropped, where life just continued. Um, but now we're seemingly everywhere. Um, entrepreneurs are being slaughtered, literally. Uh, this is this is something incredibly serious. Uh, and uh, well, if individuals don't take actions to protect themselves in these times of war, if you don't shoot the Nazis coming at you, you're gonna get killed. Um, not just you, your family and your children too. Uh, it's it's like an existential like an existential threat um, to to you and your loved ones. Act accordingly. Uh, it is war. Pick up the guns. Pick up Bitcoin. Defend yourself and resist. What has been your take on the global acceptance of what's going on? Oh, yeah. Um... Like, I'm, I'm still not completely hopeless, but it for sure has shown me somewhat of, you know, the true colors. Like, I, I was surprised by a lot of people whom I thought they have principles, whom I thought that they truly understand what it means to be an individual and to think for yourself, right? And, you know, think critically, um, where just by watching the actions uh, of, of, of people where obviously they did not think for themselves, right? But they just repeated propaganda that was spread at them in, in the media. Um, and that as of a result of that propaganda lived in humongously big fear, right? And always when you live in fear, you're going to make mistakes um, and you're going to be exploited by someone who will, who will sell you solutions to the fear, right? Um, and that was that was a bit disappointing, I must say. But on the same on the same side, there have been many people who all of a sudden started questioning 
not just you know the the fact that the rules of the government are absolutely stupid but the fact that these that these guys have the audacity to proclaim rules and to force us to follow them right so on on the same hand i found much more people who got an intuitive appreciation of the values of anarchy right of of thinking for yourself and making own conclusions not just because someone forces you to do something but because you think it's the right thing to do um and it's it's interesting um i i just really hope that um individuals do start to wake up and to resist uh and to put an end to this war um sooner rather than later uh because the the longer it's going on the more devastating it's going to be and the more wide reaching are going to be the consequences on a multi-generational scale um so like many aspects both positive and negative what's given you hope what 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 what's because i look around and i'm thinking oh my god man like how are these bars restaurants cafes not open yet this is like it's as if you know we have this this situation here in france where we we have this curfew at six o'clock like, you know what no one's questioning the fact that what does covid come out and hunt at 6 p.m like no one's questioning that you can all go and do your jobs as long as you wear a hanky on your head but you got to be home by six o'clock because that's when it's going to get you and we'll just have people dying in the streets like we did last year which by the way didn't even happen so like you know what gives you hope? I'm looking for hope. Yeah. Um, you know, for one thing, Bitcoin still works, right? That's always a good thing. Uh, still 21 million. That didn't change. Um, like, seriously, like, looking at the money printing numbers of the fiat empire, like, if I would not have, like, if I would not be all in Bitcoin, I would be shitting my pants so hard. No hope whatsoever. If you don't hold any Bitcoin right now, you're you're a dead person, basically. Like you're you're considered basically that there's no no way that you can survive this. Um, no fucking way. None. Zero. Absolutely no chance. You're gonna get slaughtered hard. Um, but on the right, but on the other hand, Bitcoin is about the people, right? And like Bitcoin is a tool for people who resist the government, people who resist censorship, people who do not ask for permission. And it seems that many people actually want to, you know, obey and want to follow the orders. And if that really is the case, if if a vast amount of people don't uh, like resist government and think for themselves, well, Bitcoin is useless. Uh, it, it really is. Um, but okay, that's actually another point that does not give me hope. <laughs> so I'm not really answering your question. <laughs> but okay, what, what I'm looking for hope, me? Max. Hope, <laughs> give me. I want to be back in bars and restaurants and cafes with my friends yeah. and take my family out for croissants on a Saturday morning. This is what fucking life is. Yeah. Like, where's that? When do people I wake up you. and just like, if every freaking, this is like, if every shop, if every bar, cafe, restaurant owner opened up tomorrow, it's over. The whole fucking thing is over. If they open up the next day, the day after that, the day after that, sure, some will get shut down. And you'll have to face the gendarme here in France or other like authorities wherever, but they can't come for you all. This is like driving me crazy. And 
Do you th- do you think? Let, let's put this to you. What's going on? Do you do you? I hope this is my hope. Is this the last roll of the dice of the nation state? Is this what we're facing? Is this their last chance? Like this this big huge push to create this mass fear global hysteria, which we've never faced. Like you said, we've never faced this. So they can print as much money as they like without even being questioned. Is this their last role? Um. Well, I mean, it's it's of course a cycle, right? It's not the end of it forever. Like there are going to be assholes who try to steal from you always. That's just how things are, right? So it's not the end of government uh, forever, <laughs> for sure. I yeah, I hope. I really hope. Like there has been a degradation of freedoms slowly over the last hundred years especially like last hundred years have been a a total fascist shit show like crazy but it seems to me that in the last year they were kind of a bit too too greedy they enforced too many restrictions too quickly um it was still spread out across a year right if if on like back in you know uh, december 2019 they would have started well no everyone is locked down everyone now mandatory tests every week uh, and you got to get v- a vaccine if you want to go shopping right if they would have said that outright well everyone would have said that's just ridiculous right come on um but you know the salami method you just cut a little bit of liberties pe- piece by piece i think that works to a certain extent you know the frog boiling in water anal- uh, metaphor but still it just seems to me that it it got so uh, frech in German, like <laughs> like so outrageous, like jaw dropping. The the audacity to go that far, um, that I I at least feel that more people are realizing it. There's like, hey, this shit show is just so not right, so completely not right. Um, and again, what gives me hope? There we go, <laughs> is that <laughs> we do have Bitcoin <laughs> as the alternative, right? That we that now people see that there are problems, big problems, fundamental problems that are at the root of society, um, and that they have to be fixed unless we want to die all, right? And now Bitcoin is of course the solution that we found, right? Um, and I hope that more people will find Bitcoin, and I hope that they will actually treasure the solution that it is and how deep of a solution it is. Right? It's not just this, this artificial thing of, oh, we're going to have you know more prosperity and more wealth. No, it goes so deep to the core of what it means to be human uh, and, and what it means to collaborate with others that I, I just hope that this is, this is a way that we can actually redeem and become well, ethical creatures again, right? not going on, on mass hysteria and, and stealing from everyone left and right, but actually building something delightful and beautiful together. Um, th- that does give me hope indeed. Bringing entrepreneurs to the front and center to to rebuild uh, a whole financial system which is based on truth and you know w- with the right incentive structure rather than mm-hmm. the completely wrong one because the, the 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 system we have right now incentivizes bad behavior it's just crazy it's so prevalent across everything day-to-day life you're incentivized into trying to i know scam like five percent off of something you know it's just like it's inherent it's built in us because of this this world we've been brought up in but 
here's one I want to throw past you because you are Mr. You know, I, I'm going to be as nomadic as I possibly can. I'm going to be as self-sovereign as possible. I want to travel the world. I want to see as much as I can because you understand life is short and time is the obviously the, 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 the only thing we truly have and, and, and the currency of our lives. The, the push for vaccine passports, which is just incredible to me that people would even consider that that's cool. Like, I, you know, I, I, I want to go the nth degree I, to the other side and say, like, fuck borders. You know, like, let's, let's not talk about vaccine passports. Let's just dissolve borders and build something special in areas of the world that we've never been able to you know build special things before in communities what is your take on on that the 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 vaccine passports and and how do you hope to navigate this censored madness yeah um you know i personally consider the first world war as over in my mind it's still going on it's over if the passport is abolished because it was introduced in the first world war during wartime right to find refugees who are escaping the shitty countries right like it's and somehow this weird piece of paper that some weird bureaucratic agency just gives you has turned into like your identity you're everything, right? If your passport is, if you lose your passport, you, you're like, oh no, like, uh, how am I supposed to live? Like, am I dead now? <laughs> um, but, but no, it's just a funny piece of paper that looks pretty. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it, it pisses me so off. Just, just having a passport that itself, <laughs> someone else gives me a stamp of approval on my name and my face. I'm like, no, I don't need your approval to have my name, to have my face. Thank you very much. Keep your funny piece of paper, right? But now to to not just you know have a funny piece of paper that you are registered in a government bureauc- like bureaucracy, but even more like a funny piece of paper that you have uh, like th- that you have taken government mandated uh, like medication into your body, like it's the ultimate form of a slave tack. Like um, like you have a very pretty proof uh, that you will let the government do whatever you want to them. Right. Um, shoot me up with some medicine. Sure. Why not do it? Right. Uh, forbid me to travel. Sure. Why not? I'm an obedient citizen. Right. Um, it's 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 very weird. It's very weird. Um, but, you know, the the strategy of how to get around that is, of course, one that that interests me as a cypherpunk and crypto anarchist, because I'm not going to f- keep up with that shit. I'm for sure not going to obey. Um, so how do I get around it? Right. Um, you know, of course, uh, so far, like previously, we needed those, uh, you know, paper slips that you got tested. Well, you know, it's just a paper slip. Well, write it yourself and print it out, right? And and show it with confidence to the person. Like, yes, uh, like this is my this is my vaccine. Uh, I got it done. I'm like I have a negative test. I'm I'm all good. <laughs> um, like if it's you know it's just a piece of paper. If they get to print it, why don't you get to print it? <laughs> I mean, why not, right? The 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 issue comes here, of course, with with surveillance. Right? and with enforcement. If you are a glass citizen, right, and, and all the medical infrastructure, which is fascistic to the core, horrible, right, uh, is surveilled as well, well, then they will find out if you have actually gotten that vaccine. So 
I think the way to go around this, again, obviously, don't take any random substances into your body if someone puts a gun to your head to do so. So that's, again, no option. Um, if we cannot easily fake it, right? if there's some digital database and not just a printout piece of paper, uh, well, hack the database. Put your name into it. Right? Uh, I, I think, actually, that that's going to be the, the, the best, more, most reasonable approach. Hire a black market hacker Right, to to put your name into the database, or even you know pay a pay a doctor to just say that he vaccined you, and you just toss the you know toss the needle and uh, don't take it, and he just claims yep uh, I did it. Uh, I'm I'm very certain that there will be a flourishing black market uh, with ways to get around uh, these stupid regulations. It just needs the courage of individuals to actually use them. Right, uh, because again, a coward who blindly obeys uh, authority is, of course, not going to take the risk of breaking the rules. Right, but a courageous sovereign individual who has the confidence that his money is secure with Bitcoin, right, will hopefully have have the guts and the balls uh, to step up uh, and and to fight for his liberties. That well, there's nobody right to take him. Oh my, that's. I mean, yeah, I knew that was going to trigger you a little bit, um, but yeah, you, you, you're you you're spitting fire right there. That's some very interesting takes. That um, it and and the passport thing is is so prescient right now because because we've not been able to travel over the last year. Yeah, it's a year. My family and I. We would have made at least this year three or four trips back to the UK, minimum. Uh, you know, we had a big birthday party that we've missed, uh, you know, a, a decade change for um, one of our parents. So some important events, which we were just not able to, to, to take part in. And, you know, that was a celebratory event, it, you know, it, Thankfully, we didn't have any of the the very sad events that that people have have missed out on, and um, not being there next to loved ones, at, you know, in their final hours. This is just so shocking. It's just so beyond humane to 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 do that to people. Um, and the point I was trying to make again about the passports is, you know, today we only just realized that two of our kids' passports have expired because we're not using them. But then it sends this, like you said, it sends this shiver down your spine, this like panic. It's like, oh my God, the passports have expired. And then you think, well, how in the world does that little booklet give them... Like this, all of a sudden, you know, the ordained power to be able to travel around this great big rock that's just floating in the middle of a galaxy is just like so beyond retarded that we, but, but because we've always taken it for granted and it's just, it just reminds you again that, you know, you enter this Bitcoin rabbit hole and you start looking at things so differently and this is what gives me hope for the future, that, that all of these things will slowly be unraveled as more and more people in positions of power start understanding, see the orange pill, take the orange pill. Because I have to believe that, you know, humans that go into these, these positions of power, they go in for the right reasons. They want to make a change for the most part. 
but then the system breaks them into what the system needs them to be. If you're going in orange-pilled, it gives me hope. And that's that's what my fingers are crossed for. So that leads me quite elegantly, and it's only taken me about 120 shows to do that, to the <laughs> final question. <laughs> if you could orange-pill, if you had one orange-pill left in your arsenal, who would you give that to and why? Hmm. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Hmm. Uh, can I revive someone from the dead? Is the orange pill that that powerful? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, you know, in that case. Um, I'm not even sure, or probably me giving him the orange pill wouldn't make that much of a difference, but um, I just would love so much to have a conversation with Murray Rothbard about Bitcoin. Like, that would just be phenomenal, uh, because that guy has articulated a, a full line of thought on, on individual liberties and the economics of entrepreneurship that follow that, uh, and, and and the argument for a sound monetary economy, like he has articulated all these different parts so, so well, and it's so much inspired Bitcoin and it's so much in line with the ethos of Bitcoin that I would just love to hear his reaction to it. I'm not sure. Maybe I would be incredibly disappointed with him, you know, running off as Peter Schiff. Oh, no intrinsic value. And like all of a sudden throwing all his principles into the water, right? <laughs> Like, that would be horrible, but <laughs> kind of interesting to know, too. Um, but yeah, so so Murray Rothbard, I, uh, despite how much he has written about economics and, and ethics and history, I would just, like, that, that I have a pretty good understanding of how I think he would perceive Bitcoin, just to get a confirmation on that and to actually hear his giggles and his insights when, when talking about Bitcoin and the wonder that it would spark in his eyes. Uh, that is, would just be priceless to see. That's a great answer, man. And I, I want to leave it. I want to throw a thought at you right now um, to, to give you hope and to give everybody hope that's, that's listening, that we will come out of this and we will build stronger and we will come together and, you know, be long Bitcoiners. Could you have imagined our, our grandparents ever you know, you're a German guy, I'm an English guy, ever, ever expecting to have, you know, at this kind of conversation, considering what was going on back in, in their time. And they wouldn't have been able to see a bright future. But yet here we are, you know, brothers in arms, we're in completely different countries, we're taking, we, you know, we're, we're taking almost two hours here discussing very, very deep and philosophical kind of thoughts and you know very bullish ideas for the future of privacy and taking power back for the individual and and building a much better you know planet for want of a better word how, how does that kind of sit with you when when you think about that yeah yeah really this this is something that does give me a lot of hope that Bitcoin is this technology that weirdly attracts the courageous entrepreneurial archetype 
just outright. Um, I've met so many amazing entrepreneurs in the Bitcoin space, like so many courageous sovereign individuals who are, are so strong, so powerful. And to be able to find them, to talk to them, right, to to both influence their thinking and to, to get their input and fine-tune my thinking and to have exactly these types of high-quality conversations, like that is that is really something that does give me uh, a tremendous hope because, well, you know, it, it is a, a reinforcement that I'm not the only one who thinks that this entire thing is an absolute shit show, right? There are others who are sane and who, who have this, who reach the same conclusions, right? And it's, it somewhat shows that I'm not completely on the completely wrong trail. Well, maybe I still am and we're just an echo bubble, but at least... Um, it gives me the the confidence of not being this lonely, crazy lunatic, right? There, there are at least some other crazy lunatics, right? At least there, at least I have peers, um, and that is that is very interesting. Like that's very, that's a very good feeling. So, yeah, absolutely. With without the peers that I have discovered after falling down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, um, I would be absolutely hopeless and devastated. Um, like even more so than not having the technology, but not knowing these strong and courageous people that are out there um, and only seeing like a coward hiding their smiles behind a face cloth, right? That would probably ruin my spirit so much. So I'm, I'm very thankful for having Bitcoin Twitter and all the countless good podcasts that you mentioned earlier, uh, because that just helps to you know have a good conversation, which is so much needed. Well, at least... In the echo chamber, the echoes make sense. You know? <laughs> right. yes. That's all I can think about. Because when I check in on Normyland, there's oh my god, that's just like that's a that's a weird party that you you never want to be part of. All right, Max, let's wrap it up, brother. Where, where can people come and find you, and uh, what's the best way to to interact with you? Yeah, so of course, Twitter, right? At Hillebrand Max, uh, always a good way. Um, but there's something that uh, actually I'm, I'm just, you know, launching now and, and uh, rolling out fully. Uh, and that is somewhat of an online gathering place for peers uh, to talk about exactly these topics, you know, uh, to foster a holistic understanding of freedom strategies. Um, and this is towardsliberty.com, uh, which is a place where I, from now on, will will host, you know, these Socratic seminars, um, which I, I think you know the method and you appreciate them, is, is like a way for individuals to communicate together to discover truth based on asking interesting questions and critically thinking about how to come up with answers to that, right? Um, this is something that is very close to my heart in, in my education, like the Socratic method is how I learned, you know, economics. Um, Mises Kreis was was the method that, or the format that was used there. Basically, the Socratic questioning. Um, the same same type of thinking led me to reach quite interesting conclusions in terms of, you know, philosophy and and natural law and ethics. Um, and of course, uh, Bitcoin is is incredibly well laid out technology to be discussed in such a paradigm because it's so big. You know, it's such a such a complex, multi-layered, fractal monster that, you know, just consuming information doesn't cut it. Just by listening, you won't understand Bitcoin. Like, you got to speak up. Uh, you you have to think for yourself and to to really 
come to discover an intuitive understanding of what Bitcoin is and how it works. Um, but it's not just that this is just about Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin is one out of four courses or like I'm not even sure if to call it courses, but uh, like niches in these Socratic formats that I want to do. Um, so just talking about, you know, cryptography, ethics of money and crypto economics, like how, how to actually use Bitcoin, right? And how to use it privately uh, and cheaply um, are, is all going to be discussed there. But um, there, the other one that I value so much is just entrepreneurship. You know, I'm an economist, I'm a praxeologist, uh, and th thinking reasonably about economics um, gives me such a, a such so much hope um, just by understanding that entrepreneurial archetype, right? And and what it actually means to be an entrepreneur, to solve problems for others. Like this is something that has helped me so much uh, when when thinking and contemplating deeper that I just you know want to continue having good conversations there. Uh, so there's going to be weekly seminars on on just entrepreneurship in general. Um, and another strategy is is or sorry another section is liberation strategies, right? So of course Bitcoin is is a prominent uh, strategy here. Entrepreneurship I would say is also about liberation, but I'm talking here specifically about things like crypto anarchy. Right, cypherpunk philosophy, uh, or even Vanu, which is an incredibly interesting liberation strategy that way too little people have heard about. Vanu, voluntary, not vulnerable. Check out the Vanu podcast; it's amazing, right? Or, but we'll also talk about you know nomadism, you know second realm, just all all these things that have helped me to become a more sovereign individual is what I want to focus on in in that part of these sessions. Um, and then finishing it up with something just dedicated to operational security, how to defend yourself in cyberspace, right? How to have secure communications um, and uh, uh, like secure computing, right? To encrypt your communications and to have tight access controls. Like all of these things were very new to me uh, because again, I'm, I'm not a like technology guy, I'm an economist, right? But recently, especially after landing in the Bitcoin rabbit hole, this was just one of the areas where I had a fountain hose of new knowledge, like directed right into my face. <laughs> um, and I've, I've just been loving to fall down that rabbit hole specifically. Uh, and I just, you know, want to share some of the insights that I found and, and help others to discover how they can improve their, you know, their security of, of not getting fucked with in cyberspace, which, you know, is, is more important, especially in this current war that we're at. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically like the gist of towardsliberty.com. Uh, and and I'm really excited to finally get it out there um, and and to just continue having awesome conversations because I just cannot get enough of these talks that we're having right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. So so I want to scale that and, and get it happen all the time. So towardsliberty.com, people can go there and, and sign up. Is is this gonna be uh, like a, a paid subscription type thing? You know, what's what what do you how do you think it's gonna play out? Obviously this is new, so it might change over time, but uh, what, what's on your mind? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's all about opportunity cost, right? And I love onboarding people and helping them understand things. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of problems to solve, right? And and I could just spend, you know, my entire day doing other crazy things in the rabbit hole. Um, so, I, you know, there. Th this is, you know, where a price comes in, right? Entrepreneur has opportunity cost. He could hang out with his family all day, right? Um that's one of the reasons why there is a price, um, but it's also somewhat of a curation mechanism, right? So um, I want to to talk to the people who really care and who don't just, you know, consume information. 
I want people to to be active and to take part in this. Like I want people to speak up and to think for themselves, right? Um, so this is somewhat of a curation mechanism to not get just hundreds of people, hundreds of people to join, but then nobody speaks up and nobody talks, right? I want everyone to be an active part of that conversation, and I've, like everyone is gonna ask questions and answer those questions too. Um, but also one of the things is like I like this entire project is built on a full free software stack. Like I'm running Bitcoin, I'm running Lightning, I'm running BTC Pay Server, Nextcloud, Tor, of course, Engines. Like a lot of free software is being used here, um, and I I will and continue to contribute to these projects. Right, so a lar large part of of that revenue, right now even well most of it, all of it, much more than than uh, I'm actually earning. Right, gets gets used to build actually these softwares, like. One of the major things that we're still tinkering on is making a Bitcoin payment integration to Nextcloud. Right? So Nextcloud is this file sharing and collaboration platform. What I want to have is that you can pay some Bitcoin over the Lightning Network and then automatically get access to a PDF right? or to a, 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 a chat group or a call group. Right? Um, like there's a lot of things that we want to develop and advance. And frankly, like I got to hire a bunch of people to, to make that happen. Right, and I want to scale it up quickly and, and properly, um, and I see this kind of as a way to to you know collect capital from interested Bitcoiners to put that into making the Bitcoin software stack stronger and more resilient. Right, but it also comes from the other side that if you're already contributing to free software, like if you're already in the Bitcoin rabbit hole and you know either invest your time or your Bitcoin into solving problems in the free software space then I actually offer you a 50% discount, um, uh, again, just to foster that free software ethos and to build that circular economy where we actually do collaborate together and, and work on that common goal um, in a bit more of a, let's say, financially incentivized way. Um, um, but as you say, right, this is all, all a bit new and uh, still all subject to experiment. So I'm happy to hear all types of feedback uh, from, from the peers that are, that are on there already. All right, man. Awesome. I'm going to go check it out. I, 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 this sounds great to be, to be part of this kind of conversation. So, and hold me accountable to that. If I don't sign up, I want you pinging me like, you know, daily, like, you know, you said, and it's going to go out on, on air and people are going to hear this. So you better freaking show up, Princey. <laughs> otherwise there's going to be hell to pay. Uh, but it sounds great. And I think there's so much to learn from you, Max. And, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to come back on the show and all of your insights and, and your kind words as well. So a big thanks from me, brother. Yeah, well, no, thanks for the compliment. I really do appreciate it, especially from coming from you, right? I mean, you've done your fair bit of work in, in the onboarding game, right? And <laughs> getting people on board. I mean, what episode is this now? Like, uh, Yeah, it's 120, 125. No, no, no. It's, 125? Uh, yeah. uh, Something like that, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, dude, amazing. Like, yeah, this is part of the exponential growth, right? You've probably taught, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of people, 
and each of them will probably teach another ten hundred thousands. Like this is this is what the real multi-level marketing scheme looks like. <laughs> We're all scamming you in a pyramid scheme to to get you to stack more sets. <laughs> exactly the, the the pyramid scheme that is stacking sets, of course. Yeah, you know the the, the basic fud. Um, but yeah, I this is how we cross the chasm. Yes, putting out content like this, and the you know the, this is a network effect in itself. You know, p- putting out. Um, podcasts and uh, starting groups like towards liberty.com that, that that's is huge and you're you're already how many podcasts and things did you say that you'd already either contributed to or hosted yourself the 58 hour live stream through the the last conference i mean man you, you must be chalking up a, a nice big family tree of uh, of bitcoiners yeah yeah i hope i hope really um i'm actually not sure about the quantity that i've made exactly but i think it's been over 300 videos on the world crypto network i've probably been i don't know maybe another 100 shows as guests maybe maybe a bit more uh and like you know things like the hackers congress i'm not even sure how to count that (laughs) was that just (laughs) one video (laughs) But I didn't even do yeah. it. So like there yeah, were one, one fifty-eight hour long video. <laughs> yeah. So so well, I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been a blast, man. Spending so much time, um, like learning and sharing that knowledge and learning from others and helping others to learn. Super rewarding. Like uh, it's it's just incredible. Raising your peers um, is is something that is is really close to my heart. Uh, that like I found a lot of fulfillment in there. And it's lovely to see so many new podcasters coming out and, and sharing in that fulfilling work uh, because it really means that that we're doing good work in fostering a greater understanding of, of what this whole rabbit hole is all about. And to anyone listening, they've stuck around for two hours, man. That's that's crazy, <laughs> right? But I do the same on podcasts. I cannot get enough of them. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, it's massive. And for anyone that's listening, you, you have something to add. You do. Just step up and do it, whatever it is. If you've got yeah. that article in the back of your mind, if you've got that meme in the back of your mind, if you've got that song, what, whatever. If you want to start a podcast, hit me up in DMs. It's so easy. Let's go. Hmm. Yeah, no, really. And I cannot stress this enough. I mean, you know, the trivium, it starts with accumulating information. Right, so important. Like, it's amazing that y'all are listening to these podcasts. Like, it's it's crucial that you do that. But don't stop there, right? Uh, like, it it cannot be just that you sit all day and and watch stuff. Like, that's consumption. That's not that's not productive, right? Yes, you need to consume a little bit so that you can be productive. But it cannot be the only thing that you do, right? Um, so then, thinking about what you actually heard is really important. Many people don't think that. Just you, you listen and you know you think back. Oh, what actually happened the last five minutes, right? Because you forgot to think, right? Because you were so fed up with the con- with the consumption. And what I found is that the best way to kind of force you to think is to force you to act. Right? Like go out there and act. Create a podcast. Talk to people. Write an article. That is the action that follows the consumption of the inform- of the knowledge and the understanding of the knowledge. Then comes the wisdom. Then comes the action, right? So running your own podcast, great way to do this. But this is also why I love these Socratic seminars so much. Like I do almost no talking there. 
Uh, like that's at least the goal. <laughs> Although I like blabbering, like my job in these Socratic seminars is to ask questions, right? And to ask them to you directly so that you're in this uncomfortable situation of, oh shit, I just heard a difficult question. Uh, uh, I, I don't know how to answer it, uh, but shit, that guy expects me to talk now. Uh, but uh, okay, okay, wait, let me try to solve it. Yes, okay, how about that? How about that solution, right? Um, and all of a sudden you you think, you, you realize there's a problem and your mind is in an uncomfortable state where it tries to, to get out of, to fix that problem, to find a solution. Right? And this is where the creative spark begins. And I think Socratic seminars, similar as running a podcast and hosting an interview, just gets your mind thinking on a whole different level. You're so right. Most people believe motivation, you need motivation to create action. That formula is back to front. Action creates motivation, which creates more action. So go act, people. You heard it from Max. That's exactly it. A nice way to put it. Action. That's what it's all about. Mate, it's been great to see you again. I really uh, look forward to the next one. And I really look forward to hearing you on um, some more podcasts. I'm going to be looking out for more of your episodes. So keep hitting the scene, brother, and uh, and sending out the love. Take care. Hey, again, th thanks, Daniel, for all the great work you do. Uh, thanks for the invite to come on. And uh, it's it's been awesome talking to you. Keep it up. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thank you for listening to that episode with Max. And Max, thanks again, man, for coming back on the show. Really appreciate it. I think it's brilliant what you do and what you are doing and the way that you're trying to help people. And if anyone listening to this isn't fired up now to start taking more control of their lives and starting with taking control of their finances, taking control of your Bitcoin then I don't know who else we need to bring on the show to help you understand that. Max is Max is that guy. He's he's fully fully committed to to being as self-sovereign as possible and living life on his own terms, which is so great to see and this is exactly what the Bitcoin space is about and this is the kind of responsibility it brings out in people and it's it it feels scary at first. But man, it's addictive when you just slowly start taking more control of your life on living on your terms, which if you think about it, so few of us have ever been able to do. We've just been painted into that corner of a fiat job that we just probably took at the first sniff of an acceptance. And before you know it, you're 15 to 25 years into a career that you never, ever, ever fell in love with. And that is just a shitty place to be. And the reason you're there is because you cannot save. There is no vehicle in the legacy financial system for you to be able to save. Doesn't matter how many wage increases you're going to get or bonuses, they're going to get eroded away by them and their printing. That's why Bitcoin is so important. If you have this vehicle, this opportunity to save and plan for your future, it changes everything. It changes so much. And becoming self-sovereign and being able to choose what you want to do with your life. How could anyone underrate that? So that's what we're here for. 
that's why we do these podcasts and that's why we share these messages and that's why we want as many people to taste and see what we've seen so before we get any deeper i will stop the rambling there and again thank you max for coming on and sharing so much and on the on the subject of self-sovereignty don't forget if you've got this stack of sats if you've been doing this for a little while if you've been fiat cost averaging the next step the next logical step for you to take is to take control of those sats and you can do that with shift crypto dot ch forward slash bitten i mean did you see how slick that segue was and you can get a five percent discount on their bit box o2 bitcoin only hardware wallet so you're stacking with either of the other show sponsors that's coinfloor in the uk coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten that will save you on commission and you can create your own affiliate link and then start helping your friends and family in the US, swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. That will get you a free 10 bucks. But then the cool thing is, yes, you create your own affiliate link and then you start helping your friends and family. And then you can enjoy uh, some kickbacks on commission as well as they can. And this whole positive reinforcement loop just keeps going. And in Europe, relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash bitten. Same thing, create your own link. You see that you see what's happening guys you get to save on commission create your own link you help other people save on commission and then you get a little kickback too they're all bitcoin companies they're all there to educate you they're all there to hold your hand and help you through this journey reach out anytime to any one of them you can find them on telegram groups you can dm the ceos this is the best thing about this space it's still so open and everybody is still so eager to connect if you want to check out my book, that's Choose Life. Find it on Amazon. If you want me to stop rambling, even if you're still listening, I apologize if I have rambled too much. I hope you enjoyed the show with Max. I really appreciate any of you listening, rating, reviewing, subscribing, tweeting, whatever it is you do to support the show in your own way. I look forward to the next episode. This has been a wall of content week for me. We hit 60K and I'm trying to put out an episode a day just to keep this content going and do my small part to to help this community and and people learn more about bitcoin have a great uh, morning guys or afternoon evening night wherever you are in the world take care and i look forward to